Hello, and thank you again for listening to Biospace's Weekly Roundup. I'm Lori Ellis, Head of Insights, and I'm here once again with Greg Sklobakin, News Editor, and Tyler Patchen, Staff Writer. Thank you both again. Good to be here, Lori. Great to be here. All right, so Tyler, we're going to start with you today. You've been following some industry reports of um, financials. Yes, well, it's it's everybody's favorite time of the year. It's uh, Q4 numbers release and some year-end releases, kind of starting off some of the big numbers that probably might not be as big of a surprise to most people, but it's always good to kind of just get the update on what's actually happened is, of course, Novo Nordisk reporting that they had about $33.7 billion in sales, a huge uptick of about 36%, obviously driven by its blockbuster drugs, Wagovi, Ozempic. They basically said that it had 38% GLP-1 growth in diabetes. Obesity care had a 147% increase in growth, huge jump in sales in North America, 11% globally. And basically, you know, it's not a surprise. It's We've talked about multiple times on here and in, and in other reports, just how powerful these in sales these drugs are and the weight loss class and the diabetes class is. But obviously, it's interest, It's good to just actually get through the raw numbers from that. Other reports that came in over the past week was AbbVie. They saw a drop from Humira, but uh, they still had a uh, you know a slight decrease, but not too crazy. Uh, some good sales and decent sales in immunology. Uh, obviously, seeing some competition in the Humira space, but uh, oncology was somewhat decent. Still saw a drop, but you know definitely that they're, they're going to be ones to watch because of all the deals that they've made in the past year. So definitely no reason to panic for AbbVie. Merck is also continuing on some positive trends. Obviously, Keytruda is their blockbuster in, in oncology that posted about 25 billion uh, in sales at a 19% jump from last year. Decent numbers for the quarter. It's HPV vaccine Gardasil also pulled in over the billion mark. The only place where obviously where they saw a huge fall off, which is not a surprise either, is uh, COVID-19 products, uh, which which fell their antiviral uh, Lagaviro dropped uh, about 77% from last year, just not seeing sales, which is what other farmers were saying in Q3. So not exactly a huge surprise. GSK also posting their numbers, racked up good sales uh, from its uh, non-COVID vaccines, increase, you know, definitely with their RSV vaccine or uh, RXV, uh, its shingles vaccine, posting uh, good uh, numbers. I think just kind of all around, I think if you're in the big weight loss space, that's going to get you a lot of money right now. That's going to be of interest. But it's also interesting to see where other attention is and other vaccines in oncology, which is still kind of holding strong for the moment. It's interesting that you bring up the fact that weight loss is so powerful right now because it is. As you both know, I was watching the House Budget Committee meeting last week or the hearing where the CBO was discussing some of their predictions and some of the issues that there were with predictions. And weight loss did come up the drugs and, and they're looking at it more and more. Uh, one of the questions that I would like to ask you and how I see, I see most of these companies that they're putting more money into research development and more money into technology. Are you seeing this as a trend of the larger companies as well? I mean, they're definitely uh, putting money into their into their R&D sectors. I think 
they're probably going twofold in that they are still heavily devoted to R&D, label expansions, new products, but also looking at the deal market too, seeing what, what's out there to whatever asset, whatever company, whatever advantage, you know, we saw it with ADCs, we saw it even at the beginning of the GLP-1 and weight loss space of people just straight out buying a company and bringing it into their fold too. So I think it's probably a two-way street in that form. So this is actually a perfect way to segue into another topic that Greg and I have been focusing on, and that is IRA and drug pricing negotiations. So Greg, let's let's start having the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's a great segue talking about earnings and talking about weight loss and GLP-1 drugs, because last week we were in the middle of the earnings season, which continues this week as well. And then there's some stragglers uh, over the next few weeks as well. But what's interesting is we got a very stark reminder of big profits that some pharma companies are making on this explosive demand for GLP-1 drugs. So for instance, Novo Nordisk, announced their earnings last week. And it's no surprise, Ozempic and Wagovi, you know, helped Novo Nordisk beat analysts' expectations for its full year 2023 sales. And on top of that, lifted the company to a market value, which now is past $500 billion. So Novo Nordisk is making a ton of money. And it's interesting because they're among the drug makers that are actually suing the Biden administration to put the kibosh on the Medicare drug price negotiations. And they're doing this at a time when they're expecting overall sales to grow as much as 26% this year. So it's ironic, I guess, is the word. At the same time, I think looking at last week, I can't remember a time when the high cost of prescription drugs in the U.S. was so prominent. And what I mean by that is it all started last week when HHS put out new data showing that Americans are paying three times more for prescription drugs than other developed countries and nearly 10 times more for insulin, despite the fact that there's been some real pressure put on uh, companies to reduce their insulin prices. But the, I guess the big news out of last week was that CMS also announced that it had sent initial offers to the manufacturers of the 10 drugs that have been selected for Medicare price negotiations. We don't know what those prices look like. There's been speculation, but nobody's leaked them yet. The Biden administration has said, unless any of the companies decide to make public what the initial offers were, that they would remain quiet on the issue. But now that they have these initial offers in hand, these companies have 30 days to accept the offer or to provide a counteroffer. So we're in store for a couple of months of back and forth uh, negotiation. Right. So, you know, I tend to look at it uh, from I've been following the CBO and I've been talking to industry key opinion holders. And one of the things that I think even I think there was a study that came out and they talk about revenues. And I think, you know, when we have this discussion, we really have to be very careful of our wording because there's revenues and there's profits and they're two totally different things. And just because a company is seeing a lot of revenue at the end of it doesn't necessarily mean that that was profit. And so when I think of the drug discovery process and then commercialization, I also try to take into a factor, and I don't think everyone does, the expense, the cost of actually drug developments. And then the profits, they only seem to come in within those 13 years. And to be honest with you, I think the first 
10 years, they're only getting 50% of the profits. And then the rest of it comes in the other part, which is something I didn't fully grasp until I spoke to investors. And investors are the ones looking at it and trying to decide, well, should I invest in this or not? And say with, for instance, small molecules, at this point, the answer is usually no, because they won't recoup their profits. Then another thing that I was quite surprised to learn is that, yes, we are doing the negotiations. Obviously, they're doing the negotiations and they're working on the IRA. But when you really look at other countries versus us, there are certain things that we do know. One, we usually have the latest and greatest. It is unfortunately more expensive to do drug development here. And a lot of companies are profiting from the drug discovery and development that happens here. So our costs do go higher. So that's one element. Also, they negotiate, but in other countries, they don't have the access to the same therapeutics we have. So then that becomes another issue as well. And I'm putting these into buckets for a reason, obviously. Then the third issue that I, I discovered, and I believe Rob uh, Williamson of Trimavera was so eloquent when he explained this to me and to Biospace, that drug pricing for overall healthcare spending is about 7 to 11% of the total healthcare spending. So if our goal is to reduce patient burden, financial burden, I don't know about anybody else, but I look at also that other 89%. And where is that? And so I'm looking at it as more of a what is the most beneficial to the patients. And I agree that drug pricing needs to be regulated because it isn't at this point. But I'm also hoping that the industry and the government will come together and really find a good collaborative way to one, benefit the patients and keep innovation. And right now, I'm looking at this balancing act that is now complicated with the uh, election year and politics. And I'm just hoping that we can get to an environment where the patients are truly first and not, I don't want to say a side thought, but it almost seems like, you know, there's some other factors that take priority versus uh, helping patients. Yeah. I mean, to your point about profits versus revenues, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, analysts across the board are expecting CMS to ask for very steep price cuts in its initial proposals to companies. So we don't know what they are yet. The range goes anywhere from 25% on the low end to about 60% on the high end. All of that we'll know in September, if not sooner, where these negotiations land. But my point on the revenue versus profits aspect is new research that came out last week actually showed that the IRA's drug price negotiation program will have a modest impact on uh, global biopharma revenues. So it's not profits, but at least on the revenue front, IRA will have a modest impact, according to researchers, uh, mostly from Harvard. And they also said, and this sort of harkens back to what Tyler was talking about on the R&D front, is that IRA is unlikely to cause significant cuts to research and development as well. So if those are true, if those are true statements, it kind of makes you wonder why companies are so bent out of shape about IRA to the point where they've you know, had ongoing legal uh, filings, lawsuits that are still working their way through the courts. Uh, in fact, last week we saw AstraZeneca, they were in a courtroom in Delaware where they basically, for the first time in terms of uh, the courtroom setting, there was a first hearing on a potential injunction 
which AstraZeneca is seeking. Now, I will tell you, this federal judge last week appeared pretty skeptical of the arguments that have been raised by AstraZeneca. So I think we're in store for a, a protracted series of court battles. I will say one more thing about last week, because it really was almost awe-inspiring the degree to which drug pricing came to the fore. CMS, in addition to giving its initial price offers proposals under the IRA, they also announced that they're going to negotiate outcomes-based agreements when, with manufacturers of sickle cell gene therapies. And so the government effort here is basically to expand uh, patient access to these multi-million dollar uh, treatments. We've talked about this before on the podcast, Vertex Pharmaceutical and CRISPR Therapeutics Kaskevi uh, has a list price of $2.2 million, and Bluebird Bios Lifgenia has a wholesale acquisition cost of $3.1 million. So clearly, CMS is trying to make sure that these sickle cell disease gene therapies, at least, are more accessible to patients, specifically Medicaid, so state Medicaid programs. And so once these negotiated agreements, which the federal government is going to negotiate, get to a certain point, then the state Medicaid programs will have the opportunity to opt in. So it's good news there. I mean, at least when it comes to these gene therapies for sickle cell, there may be some uh, price relief. So I looked at the the study as well, and I read the study, and I'll be very honest with you, I took exception to the fact that it was mostly based on revenue versus profit. And in the study, it actually says that they didn't feel that there was a link of past profit to future investment. And as the investors have already proven, especially with the fact that small molecules, there's a, a decrease in the market. That's simply not a fair statement. Uh, the investors, if you don't have investment, it's not going to happen. And the market is already starting to prove that. The other thing that I can honestly say that I'm slightly concerned about and I am watching is that the government is negotiating these prices that are for the expense of drugs, the biologics. They are complex. But then also they're decentivizing small molecules, which are more cost effective and less complex. And so, like I said, it's where does that leave the patient? And so that's purely what I'm looking at at this point. I am, like I said, wondering what this means for the healthcare industry, because it's not going to stop here and it can't stop here because drug pricing is not just a pharma problem. It is the entire healthcare system problem. So the PBMs are involved. You know, the insurance companies are involved. When do we start getting around to those? Because if the ultimate goal is to affect the patient, well, then just taking a small slice or sliver is not the most effective way. We have to start looking at it holistically. Do I absolutely think, once again, that there needs to be regulatory mandates? Absolutely. And I don't think either side is going to be completely happy with what comes out. But I think it's gotten to a point where we have to be more cost effective in drug development and drug discovery. We have to be more thoughtful in therapeutic areas. And then the government really needs to sit down with pharma and fully understand everything. I have brought up many times artificial intelligence. Well, and it, it's working, yes, but will companies actually see the true benefits until like 10 years from now? So I agree with you, but also simply sometimes think that there is some confusion on how costly research and development is and how many times they fail. And I think that's where a lot of our costs come from. Yeah, no, I mean, your points are well taken. The role of PBMs and these artificially high uh, prices for drugs, there's a role there. It's, it's definitely been examined in congressional hearings and uh, will continue to be. I mean, I, my fear is that 
2024 is a presidential election. I'm concerned that, you know, once we get out of this year and see what we get in terms of a um, executive in the White House, we, we may or may not see some of this uh, spotlight diminish on drugs. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll it'll be as robust as it seems to be right now. I, I will say this week, in fact, this Thursday, the CEOs of Bristol-Myers Squibb, J&J, and Merck are all going to be testifying in front of the Senate Health Committee, and this is Bernie Sanders' committee that he chairs. So there's no question they're going to be grilled about the high prices of their drugs. I, I will point out that it took the threat of being subpoenaed for J&J's and Merck's CEOs to actually agree to a, appear before the committee. So we'll see on Thursday what their answers are, what their justifications are for you know the high prices of their drugs. I, I think it bears pointing out that Every single Democrat in Congress in 2022 voted in favor of the IRA. So, you know, and just when you thought maybe drug pricing is not a partisan issue, or maybe it is a partisan issue, there's two things happening in Congress. There's, on the one side, there are Republican members who have introduced legislation with the help of, of one Democratic congressman to lessen the power of the IRA's Medicare drug price negotiations. At the same time, there's also a proposal by Democratic lawmakers in the House of Representatives to expand the IRA. And so if this Democratic plan goes through and is passed into law, it, it'll essentially result in uh, more than 164 million workers and their families and 16 million people in the marketplace getting coverage for these private insured aspects of, of the drugs. So right now we're talking about Medicare price negotiations. They want to see those benefits on the private insurance side. And so we'll see what happens. This bill will also seek to block pharmas from hiking drug prices faster than inflation. And they're also looking to bump up the yearly number of prescription drugs that we would be the subject of price negotiations from 250 up from 20. So it's going to be interesting watching Congress in this election year and to see where where the IRA will either be diminished or expanded in its scope. Right. There seems to be one part where they actually do agree on, and that is the CBO has a really tough job and their predictions have historically been off. And this year they were off by, I believe, about a trillion. And that was the one thing that I was watching uh, during the committee. There wasn't that political posturing. There was a couple places, but most of it was focusing on these predictions because that's how they do their job. I'd also like to expand about the political environment, what you're concerned about. What I'm also concerned about is that everything's tense right now between the government and pharma. That's a tense situation. And yes, the election is totally compounding it. But how much are we going to get done? You know, I like I said before, if you're going to make a major change, it really has to be more of a collaborative effort. And I, I did see that with the CBO and they're ready to do that. But then when party politics get involved, will the pharma industry and the government be able to reach a place where they're collaborating and they really want to do this right? and the politics can be pushed aside. That may not happen this year, but I do hope that that would continue forward in a bipartisan way. Yeah, I mean, that's my hope as well. I would say that the lobbying group, you know, Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, they definitely put this initial price setting from CMS and, and the initial proposal in a, a sort of a, an election year uh, perspective. They, they criticized 
the Biden administration as really, in their words, transparently, you know, trying to win political points on the campaign trail. So as long as we have this back and forth of, of political posturing, I think it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for politicians on both sides of the aisle to come together on this issue. But we'll see as uh, the election year continues on and hopefully uh, calmer heads uh, prevail. Well, that concludes this episode. Thank you again, Craig and Tyler, for your insights. If you have any questions, please reach out to one of us directly.